the word apostle is not a religious word. Though it is a word that we hear of in the scripture, a word that Jesus uses, a word that Hollywood religious films have used in the past, apostle is actually a secular word that means this. The apostle is a personal representative to the king, or of the king, functioning as an ambassador with the king's authority and provided with the credentials to prove, to prove that he was part of the king's envoy. And so when a king or an emperor would inherit or receive or conquer new territory, the apostle or the sent one would be sent into that new territory with the mandate to go and embed the culture of the kingdom, the values of the kingdom, the DNA of the kingdom, and the heart of the king so that when the king of the kingdom finally has a chance to go visit that new territory, they are showing up to a people and a place that feels like it's been under the king's reign for years. It carries the king's culture. Jesus is known as the great apostle, the sent one, the one who leaves his father in heaven, comes into the world to embed what he calls the kingdom culture of the kingdom of heaven into this time and this place. Later on in the New Testament, he would use the phrase or phrases, I am sending you out, or you are sent ones or apostles. Meaning that you and I, when we wrap our lives around the way of Jesus, we become sons and daughters of God, created for eternity, but sent into the world to lay down a specific and unique culture of the king. If you're somebody in here today that has actually experienced the grace of God in a tangible way, not just religious information, but you've felt it, then you know that you are pulled in to God's love. But you also know that you've been pulled into God's love in order to be sent out. That is the overarching narrative of the scripture. You are blessed to be a blessing. You are melted and moved by the gospel and grace of Jesus for the sake of other people. The gospel reaches you on its way to someone else. You are pulled in, wooed by Christ to be sent out with Christ. And so let me take this just even a a level deeper today as we begin. It's not only that if you've experienced God's grace, you are a sent one, you're an apostle. It's that you can actually know the degree to which you've truly experienced God's grace by the degree of your sentness. Meaning this. If you're somebody that on a daily basis is not yet trying to figure out what it looks like to follow the way of Jesus, embrace the love of God, and embrace others in the love of God on your way to your research lab, on your way to the UN building, on your way to classes, then there is a superb chance that you still do not understand the depths of God's love for you. Because when you do, you're sent out. And so we start at Matthew 10. Jesus sends out the first group of unschooled, uneducated, still very unethical men and women to bring the kingdom of heaven into the world. A few weeks ago, we started this series, Kingdom and Empire, and we said, first, we we need to talk about why the majority of the church in the West is so bad at actually talking about proclaiming their faith in a public square in a pluralistic moment. We're just bad at it. And we're bad at it for a bunch of different reasons. I can't go through them today, but you can jump online and listen to that message. Week two, last week, we talked about how we can, how we can in a respectful, honest, humble, yet confident way, how we can talk about the love and grace of God to our colleagues, our friends, our family. But today I want to talk about what to expect. 
If you really are one that's been pulled in by the love of God to be sent out with the love of God, I want to talk to you about what we can expect because the reality is that Jesus sits with his disciples multiple times, his students, and says, I want you to count the cost. Unless you're a fool, you count the cost. Any wise builder is going to take measurements two, three, four times before he starts to build the foundation because he's going to count the cost. If he gets it wrong, he's in trouble. Any good military advisor or king is going to take a census of their army and know who they're going to battle against before they engage in it. You count the cost. Jesus begins much of his ministry with his first students and says, I want you to count the cost because my way, the way of Jesus, is one that's all about losing your life for the sake of finding it. We see it over and over in the scripture. For those that want to lose their lives will find it, and those that are worried about finding their lives will likely lose it. And so as I talk to two different groups of people today, a small group of leaders who are going out to start a new church in West Queens and a church that is a whopping five years old that is still trying to embed a vibrant community of faith here in Roosevelt Island, I just want to make sure you hear the expectations about what you are to face if you're somebody who's been melted and moved by the love of God and are actually living as sent out ones. The first is this. You are going to face undeserved pain. You just will. Jesus begins and he says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Sheep among wolves. I I didn't grow up in a Protestant church. And so I didn't get all the little cute songs that, that, that Sunday school teachers teach their kids. But as I got older, I started to hear from friends and family members who were raised in Protestant churches about these songs. You ever hear the sheep song? I just want to be a sheep. Ba 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 ba. I just want to be a sheep. Ba 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 ba. From my head down to my feet, I can keep going. Ba 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 ba. And you realize, <clears throat> you realize that there is no way that Sunday school teachers across America gave them those words in context. Because no five-year-old wants to die. But here it is. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Now let me explain why he says this. As Jesus sends these people out with a new message of a new kingdom, he's sending people out with a message that stands in stark contrast to the empire that is currently at this point in time run by a king. A kingdom that puts burdens on the people taxing them and forcing them to fulfill different positions to help the king accrue more power. The empire runs on consumerism and the conquering of others. And at this point in time that Jesus is speaking, much of the majority religion has now become completely intertwined with that empire. It's why Jesus comes in and starts flipping tables because people, religious leaders, are charging massive, massive amounts of money to worship at the temple. Jesus is going, no, you've intertwined yourself with the empire. The majority religion at this point in time begins to take shape around a few charismatic leaders, puts a burden on its people, runs off of consumerism with a tone of triumphalism that says the more people that we can get to adhere this thing, the more power we might be able to accrue. And so the way of Jesus comes and says, we're, we're a part of another kingdom. One whose king is in heaven, and we will actually give our lives away for the sake of others outside of this worldview. We will not be valued by what we can do or what we can't do for the empire, but what the king has already done on our behalf. 
And this was threatening to the empire. To see hundreds if not thousands of people now no longer needing to get their value and worth from the empire was threatening to the systems that made the empire and the emperor successful. And can I be honest with you today, it's not much different. I was sitting at the Nisi, the little restaurant next door the other day and two parents walked by with a four-year-old and the kid looks at his mom and is like, what's that? Pointing to this chapel that we're sitting in and she chuckles and she goes, it's a church. And he looks to his dad, he goes, what's a church? And the dad looks back at his four-year-old kid and goes, irony. And you know what he's saying. We all know what he's saying. This place is supposed to be a beacon of hope and a place of refuge. And throughout the Western world for decades now, the church largely has intertwined itself with the empire, worried about accruing power for itself, hypocritical most days, It's what it's become. The church for years has entwined itself like that. It's consumed with power and accruing it instead of giving it away, aligning itself with different political biases. Its its motivations often are about conquest. How can we get more? More people to do more things, to make more money, to accrue more power. And yet Jesus is going, but if you go in my way, you, you go in simplicity, you go in innocence, you go in vulnerability, you go like sheep. You say who you are and what you believe to your colleagues, your friends, your family with confidence, with humility. And you communicate that you long to be a people of peace who help others flourish in your brokenness and flaws. Not only if you come to our church, but we're actually going to care about you, especially if you don't. And not only if you're like us, but we're going to care about you deeply, especially if you're not. And not only if you adhere or support our worldviews, but especially if you oppose them. This is the way of Jesus. And when you do this, Jesus says you're going to be hurt. People will reject you. People will say no thank you. You will find yourself loving people well, welcoming them into your homes, inviting them to your table. And when they need community and when they need belonging and when they need some type of hope, they're going to be really grateful. And in the seasons that they don't feel like they need those things, they're going to get up and leave. And it just hurts. But this is the sacrificial nature of sheep. This is why we call Jesus the Lamb of God because he goes out into the world and not in conquest or violence says, I'm going to give my life away. And it's going to hurt. But this is how I'm going to show you the extent of my power and love. And so we count the cost. Because the way of Jesus has always been about losing your life in hopes of finding it. And we don't just expect undeserved pain, but then you expect to engage with unexpected people. Jesus continues, he says, On my account you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. Jesus at this point in time is talking to fishermen and small business owners and tax collectors. He looks at him, he says, you're going to get in trouble and you're going to find yourself sitting with the heads of empires, with the authorities in charge. But then he also says, and you're going to find yourself also with Gentiles, non-Jews. At this point in time, the religious institutions considered these people unclean. For these people listening to Jesus, they're going, these are people we would never likely find ourselves with or around, but Jesus is going, this is exactly who you are going to find yourself with and around if you are a sent one. If you understand that you've been pulled in by the love of God to be sent out with the love of God. 
This is the uncomfort that Jesus launches both his first disciples and the rest of the church into. Jesus seemed to understand that the beginning of faith and the beginning of a life itself is when someone steps out of their comfort zone and steps into situations with people that they know, if God doesn't step into this with me, I'm not coming out the other end okay. Christianity will, will, Christianity will not make you comfortable. If it does, it's not Christianity. Jesus' love and grace will give you peace in the midst of uncomfortable situations, but Christianity will not bring you comfort. If that's what you're finding, that's not Christianity. It moves you out always into the uncomfortable. It's why philosopher and author C.S. Lewis once said, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. The way of Jesus is to move towards those that are different than you. To learn from those that are different than you. To share the message of God's love with those that are different than you. Different socioeconomically. Different from their sexual orientation. Different from their political bias. Different than you. There, there, is, there is comfort in staying with people that are exactly like you. I think about some of our people that are starting this new work in, in West Queens, and I know it would be much easier for them to go to a large established church with large established programs that could fulfill all of their needs. But to see them instead go, no, we're, we're going to move out towards other people and start something new in our uncomfort. And God, if you do not intercede at this point in time, we're not going to make it through this. But when you are sent, you move outward. You move outward, and you end up connecting with people you would never expect you'd connect with. Just yesterday, I sat in the back of a gymnasium where we'll be hosting our services next week. I sat in the back of it with a 60-year-old Jewish principal who founded that school and has been born raised in Sunnyside. And she sat there just, just talking. She loves the fact that our church is starting a, a, a church in that school. And she just started asking me questions. She's like, Dan, so like, are you, are you confident that the church that you started on Roosevelt Island, like it's embedded in the community, it's going to be there 15, 20 years from now? I'm like, absolutely not. She's like, well, why are you starting something else already? You just confident that this is working? Like, is there that much momentum and energy? And I'm like, I don't have no idea. Here's, 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 here's what I know. I know that Jesus calls me to, to leave comfort and move outward towards people that are different than me. And frankly, Principal Barr, you are really different than me. We count the costs. Because the way of Jesus has always been about losing your life in hopes of finding it. And just to set the record straight, as you move out because you've been pulled in by the love of God... You will experience undeserved pain and God will be with you in it. You will meet and eat with and let unexpected people into your home. And lastly, you will find that there is unfathomable power. Jesus finishes and he says, But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Those of you that might be visiting today, you, you don't know my story, and you don't need to, but I'm going to share just a, a small piece of it. We have, we have a lot of kids. We have six kids. 
And the oldest two are adopted out of the foster care system. We've had them in our family for a long time now. They are, they, they are part of the forever Sadler family. And a lot of, I remember years back, a lot of specialists looked at us when we decided that we were going to adopt out of the birth order, meaning that we were going to adopt some older children that were older than our biological children. We had a lot of specialists that looked at us and said, this, this probably isn't good because when you do that, it breeds a lot of insecurities as you take the oldest biological and make them part now of, of the middle of the pack. It's not good for their confidence. It's not good for their, their self-esteem. And yeah, Amanda and I, we really sensed, no, we're supposed to adopt these kids. These, these are ours. We had fostered them for a year. They're coming into our family. So we became proactive about how to tell our biological kids that they are loved, that they are going nowhere, and even if resources are redirected to kids that they barely know, they're good. And it's been really interesting to watch my firstborn biological boy, Liam. Because the dude, one, is a pain in my side most days. But also, I have never seen a kid respond to such life-altering circumstances with such confidence and compassion than this boy. From the time he was three years old and we looked at him and said, hey, we are going to bring another few kids into our forever family and you're going to tell him. He was like, yeah, it makes sense. They don't have parents that they can you know, be safe underneath. We got to do it, Dad. So just the other day, Markeisha came in with her hair done for one of the first times in a while, and Liam looks right at her and goes, that looks awesome. There's just a confidence and a compassion that you go, where is that from? Well, I know where it's from. It's not from him. I just started following Jesus as a 21-year-old, and I was at a church that didn't have a college ministry, and I was a college student, and, I, and so I asked the pastor, I'm like, hey, how can I get connected here to some people in my same life stage? They're like, you might need to start one, buddy. I've been following Jesus for like four or five weeks, tops. I was like, okay. And so I remember weeks later, if not a month or two later, I was standing in front of 50 kids at a college campus, and I'm talking about the love of Jesus and the grace of Jesus and how to move forward on the campus with the love of Jesus. And a 17-year-old Amanda, Jane Talmadge at that point in time, now my wife for 15 years, just looked at me and was like, why would you become a lawyer? Like, you're actually good at this. And I was like, no, no, no. No, because I knew what was going on. Unlike most religious people at that point in time, I took at face value the story of God that says God, God was done waiting. He was done, he was done having us guess what he was like. He was done having us question whether or not he's held responsible for that violence or that violence. He was done. And so he said, I am coming into the world as Jesus in flesh to show you the full extent of my love for you. I'm going to show you exactly what I'm like in Jesus. And I knew from the scripture, I was just like, listen, here's what it says. It says that Jesus came into the world to show us what it looks like to be fully human. He lived this life and then he started to experience undeserved pain. He became vulnerable to the extent that his hands would be pulled apart, his feet nailed to a cross, and would experience death by asphyxiation on our behalf. Through our violence through our evil, would experience that. But his love was so deep and so wide and so profound that he would not stay dead. And an unfathomable power raises him from the dead 
He is resurrected. He ascends to heaven. And anybody says yes to Christ and his love and his kingdom now has the spirit of God in you. The very living spirit of God in you. So I sit there talking to people about God's love, his grace, his movement. I know it's not me. God says over and over he's going to give you the words at the right time when you're around unexpected people in unexpected moments experiencing undeserved pain. He will give you the words. He'll give you the posture and he will give you the grace. It was one of the best revelations to realize that God would always give me the exact words needed if I was moving out towards others in uncomfort. But just to end with one more revelation, it's a revelation that Peter received in Matthew 16. Jesus asks him the question, he says, who do you think I am, Peter? And Peter, for the first time, gets something right in his life. I empathize with Peter so much. Looks at Jesus and he says, I I think you're it. I think you are the one who's going to make all things right. I think you are the one that has been talked about for generations. And Jesus looks back at him and he says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you, Peter, you are the rock. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, will not overcome it. And so I want you to hear this, and I want you to hear this clearly, hope and mosaic. There are two groups of people in here. One that's trying to go out to West Queens and start a new work. I can produce some anxiety and some nerves. There's another group in here that's trying to establish a long-standing community of faith on this very now transient island. And you've just started. And there's some pressure in this, but I want you to hear this. We move out towards others not because we have to. Jesus will build his church. He's clear. We move out towards others not because people need us to. Jesus is clear. He loves them much more than we ever will. He's building his church. We move out towards others. We are send out ones, apostolic in nature, because of this. And Leslie Newbegin said it best. The deepest motive for mission is simply the desire to be with Jesus where he is on the frontier between the reign of God and the usurped dominion of the devil. We move out because that's where Jesus is. And I want to be with him. I want to experience a a God who loves us deeply and who said, I will not wait for you to clean up your act. I'm coming down to shower you with my love. And so our job is simply this. It is not fruitfulness. It doesn't matter how hard you all try, how hard you serve, how well I speak, how well Pastor Simone speaks, how well Pastor Amanda speaks. It doesn't matter. Fruitfulness is God's. He will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And the pressure that you feel when you go into your office or you go to your family's place or you go to your neighbors to extend the love of God to them, the pressure is off. Because he will build his kingdom. He will build his church. And the gates of Hades will not prevail. Your job is faithfulness. God's job is fruitfulness. Your job is faithfulness. 
to wake up daily and go, my number one priority right now is to experience the deep and wide love of Jesus that has seen me since the foundations of the earth were laid and said, you are worth it. In all your baggage, in all my baggage, he loves us. He says, be faithful to my love and I will take care of building a church and inviting you into an adventure that is worth all of your life.